Welcome to Mamas on a Mission. If you're a Melbourne mum, you've landed in the right place. Hey, I'm Holly, the host of this podcast, Chief Mummer of Motherhood Melbourne and co-founder of Facing Motherhood. Each week you'll hear from inspiring local mummers that are on a mission to help you get through the toughest hood of all, motherhood. Season three is kindly supported by my podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, an Australian-owned premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. Okay, let's kick things off. On this episode, we're going to discuss the topic of fertility. And I have to say, after this interview, I said to my guest, you have to write a book. This Melbourne's mum experience, mission and personal story are fascinating. So if you haven't already, tell your mama friends about this podcast, Mama's on a Mission, so you can chat all about this episode. Fertility has become big business over the last 20 years, since my latest guest has been involved within the industry. Perhaps you've struggled to have a baby, or you have a friend that's experiencing this. Fertility is something that isn't spoken about openly or often, and this makes the process of trying to conceive, naturally or with assistance, extremely difficult. Lucy Lyons started as a clinical embryologist, an IVF scientist, working in fertility clinics around the world, helping people have the family they always dreamed of. But as you'll hear, this wasn't enough. Lucy started to see a scary shift towards the exploitation of those who face fertility challenges, and it was something she didn't want to be a part of. So Lucy found a way to get back into the business of making babies, not making money for shareholders. Naturally, Lucy moved into a guidance and support role. At Two Lines Fertility, Lucy provides people with independent support as they navigate the overwhelm of fertility treatment. She's like a fertility coach who can give you the answers that Google can't. In this episode, Lucy shares why she made the leap from embryologist to fertility educator and program manager. She speaks about when to seek out professional help and provides great advice about how we can support our friends and family undergoing treatment. Lucy also explains what secondary infertility is and why it occurs. And lastly, Lucy shares another offering that she's really passionate about, Future Fertility Safe. This is where she loves to educate and empower young women and men and the people who care for them to understand how to protect their reproductive future. Now, if you're tuning into this episode, I'd love to know, share it on your Insta stories with a screenshot, tag Motherhood Melbourne and Two Lines Fertility. You'll find account names and links in the show notes. Let us know what you got out of this episode or leave a review on the podcast app. Thank you. Okay, now Lucy starts with telling us about how and why she originally became a clinical embryologist and what that actually entails. Let's meet Lucy. I kind of fell into it, which is a bit weird. I um, I did a student exchange when I first left school and promised myself that I was going to get a degree and then I was going to sell everything I owned and go back to Europe and just backpack around Europe until my life showed me what it was going to do. And the university degree that I chose was agricultural science, a Bachelor of Agricultural Science. So I did that and through that ended up majoring in animal breeding and genetics. So I then went to work as a vet nurse for a while to earn some money to travel to do this big trip that I had planned. And I had it all mapped out. I spent six months planning it all. And towards the end of that six months, my father, who's a GP in regional South Australia, he um, came home with this document um, with an advertisement for a two university graduate programs. One was a graduate diploma in reproductive science and the other one was a master's of clinical embryology. And I didn't 
really want to do either of them. I wanted to travel and I had this massive trip planned and I read up on this stuff and dad was really keen and I thought, I just need to shut him up. I'll apply. They only accept 15 people internationally every year to this course. There is no way I'm going to get in. I'll just apply. That'll shut him up and I'll keep planning my trip. So I applied and I went away to the beach house for the holiday, for the summer holidays, drove back to Mount Gambia to book my ticket for this big trip that I had planned and went to the post office on the way. And at the post office was this acceptance letter, of course, for the Graduate Diploma of Reproductive Science. And I thought, oh, that'd be bloody right. All right, I'll do that and then I'll go overseas. So I did that. That was a 12-month graduate diploma. And in the course of that, I did some volunteering in a research, reproductive science research lab. And while I was working in there, I was dissecting mice and getting eggs out and doing all sorts of stuff. And one of the ladies in there said, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, shit, what have I done? Shit. And she said, no, no, I've just recommended you for a job. I'm like, oh, okay. And she said, they don't come up very often. So, you know, if you wanted it, it's basically yours, but you need to apply. And this is the job. And it was an embryologist at Monash IVF. And I didn't even really know what an embryologist was at that point. I was still so focused on going on this trip overseas that I had planned. So I applied for the job and then got it. So then I worked there, did my training as an embryologist and discovered that it was just absolutely my passion and totally what I wanted. And I'd finally found something that was better than my student exchange. You know, for so many years, the best thing that ever happened to me was going on the student exchange. And then I found embryology and discovered that that was actually better than that. And it was amazing. So I did that for two years and towards the end of that two years, someone, that, that same lady who had said to me in the beginning, I'm going to talk to you, she came up to me and said, you speak Swedish, don't you? And I said, um, well, yes-ish. And she said, well, I've got another job for you. I said, oh, what's that? She said, a friend of mine's got a clinic in Gothenburg in Sweden and they need an embryologist and you've been trained by, Mel- by Monash IVF, so just ring this guy and he'll give you a job. I'm like, oh, really? And she said, no, no, he will. Um, I'm like, oh, okay. So I contacted him and I didn't really want to go. I sort of I contacted him in about June, I think. And I was really happy. I was so settled in Melbourne. I was so comfortable with what I was doing. I contacted this guy and he said, yep, cool. When can you start? said, you haven't even interviewed me. Like, what do you mean? And he said, no, we haven't, even, you know, you've, tra- you've been trained by Monash IVF and they're the best in the world. So um, I'll take you. I said, look, I really want to stay for Christmas. It's a big family Christmas this year and I'll come after Christmas. He said, no, no, I'll fly you home again for Christmas. Just come. So I went in October, the end of October. That was back in 2002, I think, and worked for his clinic, the Fertilitätszentrum, it's called, in Gothenburg in Sweden. Worked there covering a maternity leave position for eight months and they flew me home for Christmas and flew me back again. And that Christmas, my grandmother died and I have a wisdom teeth out and it was the most whiz-bang quick trip you've ever had in your life. Um, and then I went back to Sweden and kept working there. And then again, just in this series of falling into things, a guy who had been, a, my father had been his mentor when he was doing his training as an obstetrician gynecologist and he had delivered two of my sister's children, was moving to the UK and setting up an I or taking on the role as medical director at an IVF clinic there. And he needed a senior embryologist. And he rang me and said, can you come to the UK and help me with this? And I'm like, um, okay, why not? So I, then they paid me to relocate to the UK and I worked there for a year. Actually, it was supposed to be a year. It ended up only being six months and we both left at about the same time, this uh, medical director and myself, mostly to do with success rates and their lack of desire to improve them. They, one of the, the medical director, the other medical directors there, it was a big group in the UK. Uh, one of the other medical directors there, when I approached him with some ways that he could improve the success rates, um, said, we don't want to improve them because if we get people pregnant, they won't come back. And I said, okay, well, in that case, you can have my resignation because I have no desire to work for a company that has that as their ethos. And I went home that night and in my inbox at home on my computer at home was an email from Monash IVF saying, 
we're setting up a new clinic in Rockhampton. You are the person we want to run it. What would it take to bring you home? And I said, oh, well, whatever you're advertising at would be great, which is typical naive me. I should have doubled what they're advertising at. Came back to Rockhampton and worked there managed that clinic and set it up from from scratch and I could tell you lots of stories about that clinic but I won't at this point because we won't have time but managed that clinic for two years yeah so I kind of fell into it it was kind of a series of, of weird incidents that happened and and as part of all of it I got to do the travel anyway but just not the way I thought I was going to that's the long answer <laughs> yeah no I love your story oh my gosh it just sounds like planets aligning it just you know everything fell into place nicely it, it completely was just a series of 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 things that happen and my brother I have an older brother he's five years older than me and he always says to my parents god everything just works out for Lucinda doesn't it she just everything just falls in place for her and I'm like yeah there's a fair bit of hard work that goes on (laughs) in the background that you might not see but sure okay everything just falls into place for me sure and so obviously you're helping other people become parents and I love that you know you even resigned based on your own sort of you know ethical values and things I love that that's great but can you share for us then what was your own experience of when you were becoming a mum when I first met my now husband he's a Brit and he was living in Sweden so he was living as a single dad and we were good friends for a couple of years and I moved back to Rockhampton and then it turned out that it was going to be something else and I moved back to to Sweden to live with him but as part of that process very early when it became obvious that that we were going to become a couple I said I don't want to invest any more time in this relationship if children aren't on the table and they may not happen but if they're not on the table I'm not I can't invest any more of my heart in this relationship and I knew that you know he already had three children and that might be a deal breaker for him and I didn't want to spend years getting involved in this relationship if it was just going to end when I wanted kids he knew right from the get-go that I really wanted kids. Um, we waited until after we were married to pull the goalie, as they say, to start trying. And even though I have worked in the industry for as long as I had at that point, I think I'd been working for seven or eight years in the industry, I was devastated when I wasn't pregnant after the first month. And I clearly remember ringing my husband from Cologne. I had a job in Sweden at the time that involved me working in Germany every second week. So I was traveling backwards and forwards to Europe every week and I was in Cologne and I got my period and I was just, oh my God, I was devastated. And he was like, seriously, Lucy, like, where has this come from? Anyway, it took us 12 months to conceive the first time. And that baby, sadly, even after a heartbeat scan, we, I miscarried at 13 weeks and I would have to say that was probably the most devastating weekend of my life and I still mark that weekend. My father said something very poignant to me at the time. He said, just know that you will always remember this weekend and you will always remember the date this baby was due, but no one else will. And you mustn't be sad with other people for that. You just need to mark it yourself. And so I do. And that was, that was awful. And I don't want to dwell on that too much, but then it took us another, another 12 months to conceive again. And during that time, my husband and I talked a lot about fertility treatment and we actually got to a point where we said, you know what, we've got these three other really beautiful kids. Um, they were 13, 14 and 16 when I moved into their house. But he, you know, we, we actually got to a point where we said, okay, we're not going to go to any extraordinary measures. If we can't have children, then that's how it's going to be. Then we conceived Imogen, our daughter Imogen, who's nine now. And she, she was 18 months old when we moved to Australia. The week before we moved to Australia, I had another miscarriage, which I had been told two weeks before we were due to move that there was no heartbeat. And coincidentally, that was the same weekend as the, as the previous um, miscarriage. So it was, yeah, it was very, uh, very challenging time trying to pack up at our house and move from Sweden to Australia and deal with the stepchildren who didn't want us to leave and the parents in Australia who really wanted us to be here. And, you know, 
all of that. So it was, it was a very, very rocky road. I then went on, once we got to Australia, so that was when Imogen was 18 months old, I went on to have probably another three or four miscarriages. So in total, I think probably six, but I lost count and I stopped paying attention um, because it was just too hard to think about. But they were all about the same time of year, which is bizarre. And my two babies, so I then had a, a spontaneous, ridiculous pregnancy at 43 years old after all of that just when I actually had an appointment made to have a Mirena put in and make sure that I didn't get pregnant again. That's another very long story. But my, it was, you know, I booked this appointment to have this Mirena put in and they wouldn't do it because they had an ovarian cyst. And so then they um, put it off for a couple of months and then all these other things happened and I, I, I had to put it off for a month then myself. And I was waiting for my period to come because they will only do a Mirena in the first two weeks of your cycle and it did never come and then Teddy was born when I was 44 years old I was like I don't want a baby now what do you mean okay all right fine so he's the light of our life now he's just a little bundle of two and a half year old excitement oh well I'm sorry that you went through all of those miscarriages that's obviously very devastating thank you for sharing your your story about that because you know it it needs to be told I have someone very close in my life who went through a very similar journey and it's not my place to share her story but she was a fantastic support to me and she went through exactly the same thing but maybe five or ten years earlier and she just she said exactly the same thing and so I remember her baby's due date and she remembers my baby's due date and we we talk to each other about that rather weirdly that first baby that I was pregnant with my two out of my three best friends were due in the same week yeah and with that pregnancy I had um I I just felt like it was a girl and I was going to call her Maggie Elizabeth Margaret Elizabeth Maggie for short and that was what was going to happen and she was due on this particular date and my best friend in Adelaide um his wife was due the same week and they carried on and had their baby. And I never told them the name, that their baby was born on my baby's due date. And they called her Maggie Elizabeth. Oh. And they had no knowledge, no knowledge of me. So I'm her godmother and we're very connected. <laughs> Little Maggie. Oh, beautiful. And so obviously with all of your experience, you're an embryologist and, you know, you were going through all of this, you've made a quite a unique sort of shift into a different line of work. So I'd love for you to talk about this now. So Two Lines Fertility, what services does it offer and why did you decide to move into fertility support and education? So when I started working as an embryologist way back in 2000, so we're going back quite a long time, um, IVF clinics were all not-for-profit and they were linked with universities and any profit that was generated got rolled straight back into research. So Melbourne IVF was linked with Melbourne University um, and Monash IVF was linked with Monash University. So, and there was a lot of amazing research going on in the field. Now they're all owned by shareholders. They all have boards of directors who have their hands out. When I was 37 weeks pregnant with Teddy, I was made redundant from my position doing GP education. So I was working for one of the big clinics in Melbourne doing GP education, travelling around, talking to GPs about fertility. And the new managing director, who was an accountant, couldn't see the direct fiscal link between teaching GPs about fertility and helping them understand and shareholder dividends. And I just felt sick to my stomach. I just thought, you are kidding me. That's what we've got to. And where do... The people out there, where did they fall when they're looking for help and they're Googling and they're frantically not trying not to get sucked in by all this marketing and advertising and PR? Um, 
how, how do they navigate this? And my mother said to me, Lucy, you've got to do it. You've been doing it for years for friends and family and whatever. This is your opportunity to do it. So stand up and be counted. And, you know, dealing, trying to do that, you know, as I said, I was 37 weeks pregnant when I was made redundant. So trying to go through the whole redundancy process and then set up a new business with a brand new baby that I didn't really anticipate or wasn't really... I was, obviously I was expecting because you're pregnant for nine months, but it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a weird kind of thing to feel like something you wanted all your life and then finally resigned yourself to not having and then you've got it and then you're trying to build a business and do all this. So obviously a bit of postnatal repression and all of that kind of stuff. So really what that did was garner my, my sharpen my knife, if you like, for really trying to help people navigate all of that stuff. And you know, a lot of all of the fertility clinics in Melbourne engage PR firms. They're all on Instagram. They're all on Facebook. They all have massive, massive marketing budgets because they don't have to pay people like me anymore. They can, you know, that that managing director made the company about two million dollars when she made the whole department redundant. That's what I'm trying to do. Is I'm trying to help people get through all of that. So that's one aspect of your question: is why did I do it? The other one is the education kind of side of it. I think if we can. If, if those of us in the community who have the information can help to raise the level of general knowledge amongst people in their 20s about fertility, then maybe they won't need to access all of this fertility support and fertility treatment, sorry. And maybe they'll have a whole, whole lot better knowledge about their own bodies and they'll be able to help themselves a whole lot better. So that's what I'm trying to do. But I don't have the marketing department, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess, you know, you're providing that independent advice, aren't you? You're the go-to person that's, you know, not trying to get your hands in their pockets. You genuinely want to actually help people who are going through such an enormous experience. Exactly. Um, I, I have clients who... Um, have been sailing around for two or three years seeing a naturopath and a googling and they've done some natural fertility program online and they've done they've been to see their gp who sent them off for a raft of blood tests that they don't know what they meant and they just don't know where to turn next and they see the latest doctor all through instagram and they think oh that person must be the best because that's what everybody says and actually or they might be on the cover of woman's day or whatever and it's very hard to see through that to what might actually be the best for you. And and whilst most of the fertility specialists in Melbourne are excellent, they're all different people. They're all human beings. And some of them are going to sit behind their desk and tap away at their keyboard and bark orders at you. And some of them are going to sit on their sofa and give you a hug and hand you a tissue and make you a cup of tea. And different things are going to appeal to different people. And you can't possibly know that sitting at home in your living room trying to work out who you want to see. And your GP doesn't know that because no one's out there telling them anymore because the fertility clinics have sacked all the people who were doing that. So, and, and most of the GPs don't care anyway. They just want to send you off for some blood tests. They want to prescribe something or they want to refer you. And they're probably going to refer you to the last person who sent them a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates or something because that's who they remember. Mm. What I'm trying to do is give people some independent guidance. So what does this information from your naturopath mean on a clinical perspective? What does this information from your GP mean from a natural perspective? Let's try and meld it all together and make a logical plan that's going to work for you individually, not for 20% of people, but for you. That's what I'm trying to do. Sounds fantastic. And so what do people need to know or do before they're ready for 
fertility treatment? Like what point would they seek professional help? Because I feel like you don't know this stuff until you're about to try. And then even then a lot of people, you know, when they're trying to conceive, it's not happening. It's something that they don't talk about. So they don't actually know realistic timeframes of when things happen. And I remember even, you know, for us as a couple, we didn't tell anyone. And later when I was pregnant, spoke to my mum, she said it took her three years. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd known that because that would have made me feel normal. So what do people need to know or do before? Okay. So Medicare define infertility as unprotected sex at the right time of the month for 12 months consecutively with no conception. So basically, if you've been trying for 12 months and you haven't succeeded, Medicare will fund part of your treatment. If you are over 35, that cuts down to six months. The statistics say that people who haven't conceived after six months, 50% of those people will need help. But help is not always IVF. There are loads of other things that fertility specialists can do that aren't IVF. So just because you're going to see someone doesn't mean that you're going to end up having IVF next month. But I think my answer to that is always, as soon as you feel anxious, go and talk to someone. And if that's after two months, go and talk to someone. Talk to your GP and they'll tell you that it's really normal. And they might do a semen analysis or they might send you for an ultrasound or they might ask you some questions about your cycle that help you to understand what's going on. I'm about to release a masterclass that covers all of exactly that. So what what sort of things should we think about? What tests should we ask for from the GP? Are we being unrealistic, worrying about it yet? but I'm still worried about it. I can't stop thinking about it. What can I do myself? And I think the main thing to answer your question, the thing that people need to know is that not all fertility treatment is IVF and that you you shouldn't be afraid to ask the questions. So just reach out and ask the question, ask me, ask your mates, ask your mum, ask your GP, ask your sister, just ask someone. That's great advice. Thank you. And so obviously when you're speaking to a lot of couples, what are some of the common challenges and stresses that people are experiencing when they undergo fertility treatment? Because I think this will be important for people if perhaps they haven't under, you know, they're not going through it themselves, but they might know someone who is. This one is really tricky. I wrote a great trying to find out what's wrong. So um trying to you you feel like there's something wrong with you and you want to know what it is so that you can fix it and I think in coupled with that is all the tests you have to have all the waiting you have a test you've got to wait for the results you have another test you've got to wait for the results combined with that is the grief over the life that you thought you were going to have you know you pictured your life going a certain way and, and it's not going that way and so there's a certain grief element to that then with that grief comes things like loneliness and insomnia relationship breakdowns possibly not just with your partner but with your colleague at work who seems to be pregnant for the 15th time this year your sister who can't stop ringing you and asking you how you're going in a lovely pitying but gentle kind voice you know your partner, your friends, your family, the unsolicited advice that you get, all of these things are really common things for people to experience when they're struggling with fertility. And it, they're really challenging things to try and help people with too because it's it's the monologue that goes on in your head. And, and I say this to my clients all the time. I very clearly remember that feeling in that two weeks from from ovulation to next period of Oh, my boobs are a bit sore this month. No, they're not. Maybe they. Oh, maybe they. Oh, oh, do I need to weigh more than I did last? Maybe I do. I don't know. Should I test yet? When am I testing? I'm testing on. Sorry, what was that you said in this board meeting that I'm sitting in that I'm supposed to be concentrating on? You know, it's it. The monologue doesn't stop, and I think for friends and family, that's very hard to support people through that because you can't tell them to relax. You can't tell them to stop thinking about it because they're going to. All you have to do is 
is actually help them try and distract them by doing other things and yeah not offer unsolicited advice can you explain now what's what is secondary infertility because it's something we don't really hear a lot about is it common and what are some of the reasons why it occurs so it's really common secondary infertility is when you've had one baby already or maybe two or three and you're struggling to conceive again so whether that's your second baby or your third baby or heaven forbid your fourth then uh that that's when what what is called secondary infertility it's really really common it's actually more common than primary infertility which we nobody realizes when you tell people that it's often or usually caused by something that happened during your first pregnancy so it can be because your first pregnancy was actually just a fluke and there's something else going on, like maybe there's no sperm and just one sperm happened to get through and your first pregnancy was a fluke. But more often than not, it's because you have changed your nutritional status, you've changed your exercise status. In fact, your whole world has shifted when you have a baby and you're more likely to probably... you put on weight during the pregnancy, often you don't lose that. All of our hormones rely on having fat in our bodies, but it has to be the right amount of fat. And if you have too much or too little, um, then that impacts how your hormones work. And if your hormones aren't working properly, you're not going to conceive. Usually it's something to do with that. It can also be um, due to uh, grief or trauma or trigger of some sort during your pregnancy. So there is some there's some room there for psychological assessment if you think that's what you need. If you had a particularly traumatic delivery with your first baby, you might not even realise that that's still bothering you, but you might way down deep inside be feeling really anxious about getting pregnant again because you don't want to have another delivery like that. And so that may be what's actually stopping you from conceiving this time. Our psychology has way more to do with our fertility than we're prepared to let on. And... Um, it doesn't help to tell people just to relax and not worry about it. You need to actually get them the help that they need. So secondary infertility can often be because of things that happened in the first pregnancy. That explains it really well. And I didn't know that it was more common. Yeah, that is so more common than primary infertility. Yeah. Um, I would say over the two years that I've been doing two lines fertility, I would say probably 60%, maybe even 70% of my clients have been secondary infertility. Would you like the chance to win free childcare for a year? Thanks to my generous podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, you can. Bliss Early Learning is an Australian-owned premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. They currently have four locations in Melbourne, Cranbourne, Sandringham, Williams Landing and Wyndham Bell. Bliss Early Learning are known for providing more for free and they're taking this up a notch by providing one family the chance to win free childcare for a year in one of their Melbourne locations. This comp is worth up to $39,000. Last year, they gave one family in Cranbourne one year's worth of free care. And in 2020, that could be you. To be in with a chance, visit bliss.edu.au forward slash win and enter your details. To get three additional entries into the comp, book in a tour at one of the Bliss Early Learning Centres. Visit bliss.edu.au or call 1300-717-777. Entries close 31st January 2020. So head over now to bliss.edu.au forward slash win for your chance to win free childcare for a year. I've popped a link in the show notes so you can enter now. Good luck, Mama. New South Wales permit number LTPS forward slash 19 forward slash 39442. For full terms and conditions, visit bliss.edu.au. What we were talking about before, about, you know, if we were supporting family or friends who are going through fertility treatment, did you have any things that you want to talk about that we should or shouldn't say 
to, you know, those we love who are going through that difficult sort of time. So, do you know, I asked this on my stories today and, and I had a bit of an idea on Instagram. I had a bit of an idea what people were going to come back with and they were exactly what I thought. So, don't, any story that starts with at least, don't do it. Don't start with it. Someone says to you, I had a miscarriage, don't say, at least you can get pregnant because they might punch you in the head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the words at least, not good. Any story that starts with my friend's sister's friend did this thing or I heard about this and you don't, don't tell that story either, they don't want to hear it. I think the best advice I can give is to ask them, how can I support you during this time? What do you want from me? And they might not be able to tell you, or if they do tell you, those goalposts might move all the time. So keep asking the question. A lot of my clients tell me that it's, it's very challenging to open up to their friends and family about the fact that they're having fertility treatment because they feel like that gives their friends and their family a, a license, if you like, to ask them every time they see them and pry into their, their private lives. And I remember myself, a personal story again, but... Um, when we were trying to conceive and we were struggling all that time and I'm, I'm a very open person. I wear my heart right on my sleeve and everybody who knew anything knew everything about me. When people asked me, are you guys having a baby? Are you pregnant yet? I'm like, what? I, I got to the point where I said, what are you actually asking me when you're asking that? This girl looked at me and I said, well, seriously, what do you want to know? Like, do you want to know if we're using contraception? Or do you want to know if we're having sex? Would you like my, my, my menstrual period? I can write it down for you if you like. <laughs> I don't know when I'm expecting my next period. Like, seriously, what are you asking? And the poor girl just went, oh, oh I'm sorry. And I'm, I felt really bad afterwards because obviously I'm a bit stressed. But you have to just think about what you're actually asking people and maybe just don't ask the question. Maybe let them volunteer the information. Yeah, and it is. it, it seems to be such a common question that people can ask you like, oh, when are you having a child? Or when you've yeah. had that child, you're literally sitting there just giving birth. And they're like, when are you having a second? Or, yeah, you yeah. Know, it just seems to be like never never enough. It's like I've had five kids. It's, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's lazy small talk. It's really lazy it small talk. I um, um, I, I also suggest that that just for a couple of really clear pointers, if you are if you have a friend that you know is struggling to conceive and you have just found out you're pregnant yourself, perhaps just tell them privately beforehand. Don't announce it on Facebook and then wonder why they've blocked you or, or unfriended you. And be a little bit understanding that they might not feel up to coming to your baby shower or, um, you know, things are going to be a little bit sensitive and respect that they might just go quiet for a while and that your friendship might... It might be very hard to be their friend for a while because they may find it very hard to be your friend for a while. And that's just, that's one of the grief processes that people who are trying to conceive just have to go through, that they, they, they do lose a few friends and, and they gain some others and that's just how it goes and it's devastating, but there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, thank you. And so something else that you've added to your services that you're really excited about uh, is Future Fertility Safe. So I would love for you to share what is this and why are you so passionate about it? Oh, this one I'm really excited about. So this one um, actually stemmed from my beautiful nieces who were here visiting me in Melbourne once. They were 16 and 19 at the time. And I thought I'd just show them my getting started package, which I had designed for women who had had trouble conceiving so far and, and I wanted to get them started on the process. And I gave them this presentation and they, I said, this should all be fresh to you because this is United Biology. And they looked at me and they said, oh, we've never heard any of that stuff. I said, what? You're supposed to be learning. Like, what do they teach you at school? 
oh, how to use a condom. I'm like, uh-huh, okay, well, that's not that helpful. Um, I mean, it is very helpful, but it's also, <laughs> there's a whole lot of other stuff you need too. And so when they said, well, we, don't, we, we, don't, we haven't learnt this stuff, I thought, right, I need to be educating 15 to 25-year-olds about how to understand their bodies and feel empowered in their own bodies and how to use their bodies. So, you know, with the way your cycle goes and your hormones go, you can feel awesome one week and like just you just want to sit on the sofa and eat chips and chocolate the next and if you're studying for your final exams or you've got a big assignment due or whatever you can use that to your advantage and so that's where it started and then I, I started presenting it to 15 to 25 year olds and they're quite a hard market to to get um, and I obviously had a captured audience in my nieces and their friends, but it was pretty hard to sort of get anyone else excited about it. And I thought, you know what I actually need to do is go back another step because these kids have already been conditioned by their, mostly their mothers, but by their parents as to how they feel about having periods. They hate them because their mothers hate them and how they, what they know about endocrine disrupting chemicals and all the things that we're exposed to day in, day out, everywhere that are impacting our hormones. They've already been conditioned by all that stuff. I need to go back earlier. I need to be getting the mums and the carers and the dads, let's be gender non-specific here, the people who are looking after the little people in our world and help them to understand that some of the things you're doing now are impacting your kids' hormones. And that is going to impact whether they later in life get things like PCOS, endometriosis, seminiferous tubule damage, you know, all sorts of things like that. So, so boys between 14, uh, sorry, four and six are actually laying down the machinery that they're going to use later to make sperm. And if you interrupt that, that process, that hormone process at that age, they're not going to make enough sperm later. They're going to end up in a fertility clinic. So maybe we go right back to the beginning and we educate people. So that's what Future Fertility Safe is all about. And it's exciting. It is exciting. It sounds really fascinating. I, I would love to know more about that. Yeah, because I have a five-year-old son, so now I'm wondering, have I done anything <laughs> to like affect his fertility? It's, it's, it's a really tricky to be out there saying you're doing the wrong thing and pointing fingers and laying blame or anything. It's it's just that people don't know, yes. and this information wasn't available ten years ago. But the research is just getting clearer and clearer and clearer about the things that that are impacting our fertility and fertility rates are declining, sperm counts are declining, all these things going on and the finger's very firmly being pointed at these endocrine disrupting chemicals and we need to eliminate them from our homes. We're not going to be able to, but we need to reduce our exposure to them. And so that's what I'm trying to do with Future Fertility Safe. That sounds like amazing work. And I actually love what you were talking about periods too, because the way it's taught in school, mm. yeah, I feel like even, you know, when I was an adult, I didn't even know when I was ovulating. Like I didn't know when that happened or what it felt like. And then when I, you know, finally learned about it, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And, you know, when you learn yeah. about how you feel before your period and, and things like that. And and if you go out, I remember going out drinking at university mid-cycle and I, because I lived in a share house where all girls, all our cycles had synced and we <laughs> yeah. all went out drinking and there was this one night, we call it green drink night, one night we all hooked up because we were all just feeling awesome because, and we later worked out, it was because we were all, we shouldn't have been hooking up that night. <laughs> it's not a good night to be hooking up. But lucky we're not all teenage parents. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. It's it's very interesting stuff. And it would be cool to also learn about, you know, like those productive times within your cycle as well. Yep. Like you said, you know, because you could plan in different like work projects and things like that based yep. on your cycle. All that stuff's very fascinating. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. talking to you. Doesn't It doesn't work when you're on the pill though, sadly, because if ah, you're on the pill, yeah. that suppresses all your natural hormones and then everything's all very even and flat. 
So it only works if you're, if you're using some other method of contraception or you're not conceiving or whatever, not on the pill. And so I'm guessing when people meet you, they're really fascinated when you tell them what you do. And I would love to know what's like the main question that they ask and what's the answer to that? (laughs) Look, it's changed. Um, When I was working as a clinical embryologist, it was always sperm. There were always sperm questions. Um, how do you get it? What is it like? What do you deal with? How do you deal with it? How do you, they're so small. And then when, I, when I've moved into what I'm doing now, it's very much, gee, I wish I'd had you around when. And then people tell me their stories. So it's not so much questions, it's more storytelling. People love to share their stories. I know so many stories about so many, you know, sometimes you just have to say, hang on, Karen, I've had enough. <laughs> Not Karen specifically. Yeah. I have a few friends called Karen. I don't yeah. get them specifically. No offence to any Karens listening. No, 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 no. Just general, but, you know, yeah, I actually don't need to hear about that particular experience. Thank you. In this social event that I'm at, generally it's storytelling, not so much questions. I, and and I've, I've, as you've maybe gathered, love a story and I love to tell a story too. So that works for me. Before we move on to something else, I just want to know, do you work with couples who perhaps you know, going through surrogacy as well? I don't personally, but I can certainly direct them to the right people. So at at least 20% of what I do is just handballing people onto the right person. I I know them all. I've worked in the industry. It's a very small industry. We all know each other internationally as well. Um, And so when someone, you know, I had someone contact me today and say, I've got adenomyosis and I live in Brisbane. Who should I speak to? And I said, book a free chat next week. Give me a week to put some feelers out. And I'll ask around my networks who in Brisbane is good with adenomyosis, which is a version of, it's kind of like endometriosis, but worse. And then I can chat to her next week about what that is. So it's mostly about handballing people on. So surrogacy, I've, I've got a few contacts in, in that sphere and I can certainly handball them on to the right people. So you, you, you're very well connected with everyone. Well, I, I like to think I am and I certainly make an effort, <laughs> make an effort to get out and catch up with people as often as I can just to make sure I'm still connected with the new people. So there's a few new ones around and I don't want to lose track of them. And I am also conscious of sticking with the same people all the time because I know them and I know what they do. So I'm constantly out there trying to meet all the new people and, and get to know what they're doing as well. So Now, I'd love to talk to you just a little bit about motherhood. You said you're a stepmom, you know, you've got two children there, you know, there's a bigger age gap, is there, between them then? Yep. So there's seven years between my two natural children and my husband's eldest child is 30. So, so. yeah. So for you, I guess for motherhood, what's been some of the surprises and challenges moving in with my stepdaughter when she was 14 and some of the challenges that went with a 14 year old girl I don't know whether many of your listeners are up to teenagers yet but whoa stand back <laughs> I um when I was pregnant with Imogen I actually had to do some serious self-talk about there is going to be a little while when this child actually likes me before she turns into a teenager. So that'll be okay. Look, that's been a big surprise. That was a big surprise for me, going from singledom to a family of five and, and teenagers. As far as being a mother, not a stepmother, but actually being a mother, I think learning so much and reflecting so much on my own childhood and going, oh, why do I do that? Because you see your own really annoying behaviours reflected in your children. Like, why are you doing that? Oh, that's what I do. Well, why do I do that? Well, that's her fault. Right. Why did you teach me to do that? You know, there's a lot of that. And probably a better understanding of my parents. Another really major one has been the difference in the way parenting has changed over the years. Obviously, my husband's 
older and he's we parented his children in a different country and a different culture and in a different era just about comparing that to a two and a half year old now versus those teenagers versus my nieces you know my oldest niece is 25 versus my father telling stories of catching the bus as a five-year-old across from one side of Adelaide to the other so he could start school on his first day it's that those kind of differences just amaze me all the time you know now there's an app so you can check what your whether your child's um, battery is going flat on their mobile phone when they're in a different state I mean who knew? Yeah, and I find that really fascinating. I think it's really interesting to, to reflect on why things happen the way they do. Yeah, mm, yeah. and mm. kids definitely, they, parenting definitely forces you to, you know, be in that self-reflection mode. It's something that you probably do more when you've got children than before. Totally, totally. And, you know, during the years when I wasn't conceiving and I just felt like it was this club that I just couldn't get into, come hell or high water, I just wanted to get into that club. I didn't want to be in this club. I wanted to be in that club. And and once I got into it, I'm like, oh, now I see why you're all complaining about it. Okay, I get it. All right. I love it. But And it's not helpful to say to people who don't have children, no. here, you can have mine or be careful what you wish for. And that. it's not helpful, but it's kind of true a little bit. I'm very, I'm eternally grateful for my children and I obviously absolutely adore them. And I'm so well aware of, of how difficult it can be to get to the point that I'm in and I'm in a very enviable position. But yeah. I also, I also allow myself to have days when I know that they're being little bastards and I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> oh, okay. And now I would like to ask you, this is my favorite question because people always surprise me. So what is it? What is a random fun fact about you? <laughs> do you know I had real trouble with this one? Yeah, people do. And I do. asked my husband, I asked my husband, what should I say? And he said, you're a witch. <laughs> what? What? I can't tell people that. And he said, well, you are. And then uh, this was like two or three days ago. And I've been thinking about it since then. I'm like, you know what? I actually am. I'm, I, I, I know stuff before it happens. And I, the number of times I've picked up the phone to call my mum and she's been ringing me or I've, I, I sent an email to a client the other day, hadn't heard from her for a few months um, just to see how she was going. And she took her two or three days to reply. And I thought, oh, God, I hope she's all right. And she replied and said, I was actually delivering my baby when your email came through. You know, and I, I heard that she was pregnant, but I didn't sort of hadn't heard anything along the way. So I didn't really know when it was due or anything. All, things like that happen to me all the time. Random, random coincidences that happen too often to be a coincidence. So I'm convinced I'm a witch. No, you, you, you're in touch with your intuition. You've got like a strong sort of, yeah, sense yeah. of what's okay, going on. Yeah. I thought you meant you practice like Wicca or something. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, no, that, no, 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 not that, not that random. But um, no, it's, it's a funny one, but it is, I, I went to see a, um, uh, one of those people who tell your future, what are they called again? Yeah, um, a, a psychic or a medium. Psychic. That's yeah, psychic, yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say psychologist. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> no, no. I went to see a psychic years ago, years and years and years ago, 15 years ago, and she said, you are surrounded. Like, oh, my God, this is really weird. Like, she was really frightened. She said, you are surrounded by babies. Like, what is this with these babies? There are so many babies around you. What is going on? And I said, she said, there's all these souls trying to get through you to be born and like how old are you are you pregnant how many babies are you like what what's going on here I said no no I'm an embryologist and she went oh thank god for that oh okay all right all right you're going to make lots of people pregnant and they're going to be really excited because there's all these babies around you and the the spirit world knows that now I'm a scientist I don't really subscribe to this kind of thing that much but she said there are all these souls and they know that you're a conduit to the earth and so they're all hanging around you waiting to get through I'm like okay 
I don't know how I feel about that, but all right. Yeah. Did you, did you get goosebumps? I'm getting goosebumps listening uh, to that. <laughs> look, it was, it was such a weird experience. And I, was, that's, I think that was part of why I was so confused when I didn't get pregnant straight away myself. So I'm like, hang on, that psychic said, and my husband's going, Lucinda, you are a scientist. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah yeah I know but still no that's a very very fun fact about you I love that mm-hmm. and so unfortunately we have to wrap things up and I've loved speaking to you <laughs> but I want you to just go over for those who are sitting there going I need to connect with Lucy she sounds like the woman I need to speak with what services do you offer and where can they find out more about you okay so I offer four main services they are Help Me Choose a Specialist, which is online. Just go to my website. That's www.twolinesfertility.com.au. And on there, you'll find Choose a Specialist. Fill in the form. Comes to me. I email you back with a short list of specialists. If you would, that, so that's one service. The next one is called Getting Started, which is a really good place just to begin. Um, and we just go through Biology 101, maybe get you lined up with a, um, a naturopath or a nutritionist or uh, someone who's going to be able to help you in the interim that package takes you from that through to either pregnancy or referral to a specialist then I've got in cycle support package so if you're actually having IVF and you just don't really understand you just want someone to hold your hand through it that's a completely tailorable package so I can come with you to your appointments I can sit with you and have coffee afterwards Um, you can ring me from the car on the way home whatever or between cycle review and support. So you've had a couple of cycles and you're just not sure whether you should keep going, try someone else, something else, ask different questions, whatever. So they're the four main things that I offer. They're all on my website, www.twolinesfertility.com.au. I hang out most on Instagram um, and I have two Instagram accounts. One is Two Lines Fertility and one is For Future Fertility Safe. I keep them separate because if you're trying to conceive, the last thing you want to do is be bombarded with photos of families. And if you're got a family you don't really care about all the trying to conceive stuff so there's two separate instagrams two separate facebook pages but they're all on the one website well we've come to the end of this episode and if you love hearing from inspiring and entertaining melbourne mamas subscribe to mamas on a mission bonus hugs to all of you who also take the time to leave a review thank you if you're keen as beans for more information about the podcast my guests or myself jump over to motherhoodmelbourne.com.au okay mama that's a wrap thanks for tuning in